Welcome, everyone. This is Twin Shadows Podcast. This is episode 111, the podcast about film, filmmaking, and filmmakers. This episode is titled, I Want to Believe We Are Not Alone. And there's a lot of... Wait, wait. I was going to do the Rosemary song. What's the uh, X-Files one? No. No. Wait, I don't know. I don't know how to do it anymore. How do you do the X-Files? Write us below. You do a little doo-doo. Now, buddy, you're always the one to do this. So I got us beers, and the last of the pack is Berliner Gescheit German beer. Let's do it. It's a Pilsner. Ooh, Pilsners are good. You know what the problem is? Is we've been listening to too much Rosemary's Baby. We've been, yes, but that's the only song we hear now. But it's so good. So as always, this podcast is hosted by the two greatest, most admirable filmmakers of all time. It's Tom and Steve. So Stephen, hey buddy, uh, how are how are you doing on this fine Friday, or sorry, Saturday morning now? We have been editing for probably about five hours. Yeah. Um, I'm exhausted, dude. <laughs> yeah, I I'm I'm with like, you there. Like in general, just it's been an exhausting week. So personally, I felt editing was rough. So yeah, I was here's just, a beer to you. We got a whole a lot drink. a whole hard drink craft ton done though, which is oh okay. oh yeah, that's right. Okay, so, oh, it looks like I have some kind of whiskey in front of me as well. Ooh, it smells good. Yeah, since you're the one always buying, I thought this time it was uh, time for me to do Ooh, it. That's a good whiskey. And so, I got Botan, Botan of the Lowlands uh, Scottish malt whiskey. Mm, it's a good oh, no, one. No, no, malt scotch whiskey, sorry. There's no Scottish. Maybe, maybe Lowlands is Scottish, right? We're talking yeah. about that with the Highlands, Highlander. All, all Scotch is Scottish. Oh, that's like a part of. Yeah. So if it's not made in Scotland, what is it? It's whiskey. Really? Yeah. So Scotch is whiskey. Yeah. But Scotch is whiskey made in Scotland. Correct. Just like bourbon is whiskey, but it's whiskey made in wherever. Kentucky or Tennessee, something like that. Really? Scotch is whiskey? Yep. Then why does it say Scotch whiskey and not just Scotch? I don't know. Bourbon says whiskey on it too. Does it really? Bourbon <laughs> whiskey. Oh, okay. And sometimes you spell whiskey with an E. <laughs> sometimes you don't. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. So, buddy. Yes. Uh, well, are we supposed to talk about what this episode is or do we go into what movies we've seen? Because I've seen some doozies. I don't know about you. I've seen a couple. I haven't seen any doozies, but I've seen some movies. But uh, so, what is what is what is this episode? Well, this episode is I want to believe we are not alone because you are completely captivated by UFOs, UAPs, aliens right by, now. Uh, Mulder's sisters, abductors. Yes, and but we're also going to be talking about our favorite thing that we wish we had while editing is. Inserts, cutaways, 
basically all these other shots that we never got. And so we should have got them in pickups and reshoots. And we're going to be discussing uh, specifically like pickups and reshoots, right? Yeah. And how uh, we can hopefully help you avoid them. Some of the mistakes that we made. Mm -hmm. So this is a lot of of us imparting. Sweet. That's a good beer. Yeah. the, The beer and the scotch are both very good. Damn. That's really good. All right. So this is probably the best beer that we've had too. You think so? We also had a uh, abnormal blonde or something. Oh, that one was good. I thought that one was really good. We had that with the pizza. Yeah, that one was really good with the pizza. And we had a bunch of I. No, we had one IPA. I didn't think that was too bad. No, considering IPAs none of the usually... beers, none of the beers were bad. Yeah. Um, but this one is definitely this Pilsner. I'm also just kind of a Pilsner fan. Oh, I was gonna say I'm just kind of a sucker for German because they're they're yeah. kind of they're they're a little bit lighter. Um, they did, they did like, uh, your cousin would say, Sean, I like my beer to taste like beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it definitely tastes like beer. And it has a, a nice beer flavor. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's why I'm really digging it. I, I didn't know. I never know how any of these beers taste until I get them. And I'm always like, <laughs> or so they're like, Ooh. well, like how these beers might taste. Buddy, are there any movies that you've seen recently? Yeah, speaking of things I don't like how they taste. Ugh. I saw two movies. And I think this is kind of going off of what we talked about the other day. Or last time. With um, the like low budget films. Yeah. And this one in particular was the... I wrote it down. Because I, I just think of Demon Shark, but it's the Black Demon with Josh Lucas. And oh, yes. The Giant Shark movie. Yeah. It's basically about a oil rig supervisor or like the person who goes, checks it out. I don't know. Inspection. Uh, inspector. Inspector. Yeah. He goes to check out a oil rig that he discovers is abandoned because a demon shark has <laughs> been eating all of the people. Oh, and it had a really solid cast. I think everyone in it was pretty darn good. But man, that story, the writing, and it was just really, really bad. I mean, it it ends very abruptly. There were like two scenes that I laughed at because they were pretty funny. But yeah, it was just a very bad movie. Definitely one of those movies where it's like, yeah, just give me my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> and then... The other film I saw, and I watched it high, so I had to watch it twice. Because the first time I saw it, I only watched like three minutes. And I was like, oh, God, this is terrible. I can't do this to myself. I'm too high for this. Mm-hmm. And it, it made, I think it gave me some anxiety attacks there. But then I watched it again sober, and I made it all the way through. And this one had a stellar cast. and But again, the writing was issue. Um. And that movie was Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, you watched that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it too. I thought it was pretty mediocre. Well, let me let me tell you what I think, and then you tell me if I fall in line with your sentiments here. So I, I put I thought it could have been good, like making a fun, silly fantasy, but the story was awful. And like Demon Sh- I mean the Black Demon, it also had a great cast. Um and a lot of the actors who I, I like for the most part and a lot of them who I think can carry a movie and kind of have been their own leads in their own individual projects. Um, 
but God, that wasn't even enough. And I felt like, I think what bothered me most when I watched it high was it felt like Chris Pine just was not into it. And he was just kind of, I don't want to say uh, calling it in, but just, it was like, God, I'm in a fucking fantasy movie called Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> like, shit. Because then there were some standouts. Um, for instance, the Paladin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that yeah. they meet like halfway through the film. He was great. I thought he was great. And, you know, he was hamming it up, but it felt believable like he was in that world. And he was stellar. And even he kind of elevated Chris Pine in those segments. Yeah. But, yeah, it kind of felt like just a bunch of actors. And apparently they weren't because a lot of the sets were practical. Yeah. But it felt like just people in front of green screen. The screen sets acting. and a lot of the effects were practical. Like a yeah. lot of the creature effects and things like that, they built. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I honestly, I didn't really, I did not like it at all. Um, yeah, no. I kind of, you when you said the palette, I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I literally been like, I've, I've like blocked it out of my memory already. I didn't think it was very fun or exciting or interesting. Yeah. Um, I wish I could remember more about it, but yeah, I didn't. Yeah, like basically the story, right? Yeah. And I was thinking too that you could have made this really good, I think, you know, because... People probably don't know, or maybe you all don't know about Dungeons and Dragons, but I've certainly played a few of the games like Neverwinter Nights. Yeah. And there's some really cool storylines, and I know there's cool storylines within Dungeons and Dragons, whatever they are. But, you know, you could have gone with the direction what they try to go with, which was comedy, action, adventure. But then kind of maybe do it like a Willow. Like if you just had Mm -hmm. a really funny script, a really tight, funny script with actors who were not who were definitely giving it their all do you think they thought they had that no i think chris pine knew it felt like it it felt like he was like fuck i think that movie got pretty good reviews though a lot of people especially i know a lot of people that play dungeons and dragons are like oh it's so great not i mean I, i i don't really play so i don't have that perspective at all yeah, but we we know a lot of the game through osmosis, right? I mean, you know Magic Missile and yeah. Chain Lightning and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know what a rogue is and what they do. and So we know a lot. We but, play Magic the Gathering, okay? Where's our Magic the Gathering true, right? movie? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think it was just a story that was lacking in this. And, and I felt like a lot of the characters really couldn't get past it. You know, like... Yeah, it makes sense. Like, Hugh Grant was great because it's like he knew what movie he was. And he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to ham it up and have fun. And it was great. The uh, Paladin guy, he was great. He's like, yeah, I'm going to ham it up. I'm going to give 110% to this character. But then, like, the wizard kid, I like him a lot but as an actor. But I don't know how it was in the in the film. I mean, you don't even remember. I just remember there's a druid lady. Yeah. And she's the uh, Sophia. I think her name's Sophia something. I don't know. She was in It. I haven't seen It. Really? None of them? Mm-mm. The first one's pretty decent. Well, I've seen the old one. It's definitely probably better than the old one. Because oh, okay. the old one's pretty bad. If you were to watch it, you'd be like, God, this is terrible. I watched it recently. I don't think it was so bad. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I thought it was pretty bad when I was watching it. Like, I, I like, like those... Red Letter Media said, it sucks. I have old I have an old fondness for Oh no, yeah, it hits the nostalgia, right? <laughs> for those uh Stephen King like made for TV movies. Uh but yeah, um 
Yeah, I watched it like last year or something. I was what brought it on? Just to watch it? Yeah, uh I think I was going I was just showing Luke like weird horror movies. He didn't get scared? No. Good for him. Maybe not. I mean, he didn't complain to me. Uh but for movies I've watched uh, recently, I, I so I've been doing this thing where I've been listening to the audiobook and then watching the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I listened to Ender's Game and then I rewatched Ender's Game and that is like one of the worst movies ever made, probably. Is that with Harrison Ford? Yeah. One of the worst movies ever made, maybe? One of the, at least the, probably like one of the worst high budget sort of blockbustery movies. It was <laughs> atrocious how bad uh, it was. And then I watched. Oh, then I read uh, some of the Discworld books, The Color of Magic and Lights Fantastic. And I watched that miniseries, which is a pretty fun and playful uh, take on the the books. But honestly, I'm looking forward to the one that I listened to this week, which was Mr. Majestic. And then I'm going to watch the movie. Uh It's written by Elmore Leonard and it's the movie stars Charles Bronson as the lead. Oh, really? I'm looking forward to watching that movie. But yeah, uh, that's what I've been doing lately for watching movies. But I did want to pitch an episode to you. Okay. And I wanted to do an episode where you and Alex, and I'll have some input, but it's mostly going to be you two because you guys are the photographers. Uh-oh. And it's to, I'll, 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 I'm going to research and find single frames from a film or a still from a film. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about the image and the quality and like how you would achieve that image. And then hope like what I think they did to get get it. Yeah, because there's something because since I was watching all those really low budget indie filmmakers, and mm-hmm. I was watching, and it's just the, there's like something weird about the the look of those movies. Like a, there's like a cheapness mm-hmm. to the look of it, and I kind of want to really break that down and understand the difference between that and say like, because um, even I would think like Kasusha with. Uh, a wounded fawn like that didn't look cheap and it looked well i, I would there's say there's like depth to the image well i would say let's not compare film to digital no no no. i meant digital like digital done well because she shot hers in film yeah, yeah yeah but uh, that was just the first thing that popped into my maybe head maybe like dungeons and dragons versus those indie movies how yeah. much of a difference do you think between those a big difference yeah still yeah oh yeah i even just between tv like budget like and that i don't i think it might be layered the lighting is layered differently or mm-hmm. uh there's dynamic range in there or something between the colors that just isn't really color graded very well mm-hmm. in the indie films yeah where like everything just kind of looks flat yeah yeah i mean you're pretty much describing <laughs> what's going on but i want to like figure out how to combat that as independent filmmakers and like uh and with like specific examples that when we can post the images on the description. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I would be up for it, you know. Yeah, and I figured Alex could help out with that since he's supposed to be our our DP. He'll be like, "Hey Alex, how do you shoot that?" Uh 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 well, uh, you got to get the camera. <laughs> <laughs> get the most expensive camera you can buy. No, but I thought that would be something interesting. So, to talk and challenging to, too. Yeah. So, Hot off the press. Well, hold on. Oh. Before we get into the news. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Oh, Liquid IV. That's right. If you want to have some good satisfying hydration, 
go on over to the link in the description, or yeah. you can use promo code Twin Shadows Podcast at checkout for twenty percent off your order. Twenty. Twenty percent off of your order of Liquid IV. I don't know if there's was there any more to that ad or. Uh, I think that's pretty good. It'll hydrate you. That's what it does. Yeah, hydration. You know, we're gonna get some samples or. I'm going to buy, I have bought some, I just haven't. What happened to our free supply, man? I thought we were finally in. <laughs> I need to bring some over and we'll, and we're going to try some. We're, we're going to try some on li- air. Live on the air. Might be the greatest podcast because we will actually be maybe sober. So hydrated and focused. And uh, so yeah, check out Liquid IV if you want to support the show and if you want to stay hydrated. Yeah. And uh, yeah, check the link in the description and or use our promo code. So. After talking about that, aliens, ah. <laughs> extraterrestrials. So recently, this week, actually, there was a high-level intelligence officer. His yeah. name is... Gar- uh, Garish? Garish? Gar- Garish? I don't know. Some G-A-R-S-C-H, I think is how you spell G-A-R- it. G-A-R- there might be a U U-S-C-H? Yeah, J G A. G-A-U-R-S-E-H? You know, I'm, I'm pretty drunk now, so I can't remember what his name I want to say it's like Mark. It's something like that. It's Garish something. Garsh? Garsh. Garsh. Why didn't I write it There's down in aliens. my notes? Well, so this, he pretty much whistle blew that the government is hiding extraterrestrial yeah. spacecraft from the, us and, the, and Congress. Yeah, including bodies. Including bodies and Roswell, and not only one but four different types of spacecraft. And so, this is pretty insane if it's real, but I I worry this is just like another smokescreen bullshit thing. How do you feel about ETs, UFOs, UAPs, and all that fun stuff? Well, they definitely exist, right? Yes, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt a UFO exists now. Is it alien? That's where the real discussion is, right? Um, I had seen a lot of this on all of the YouTube like recommended little clips to listen to, but I hadn't really given it too much. Mm-hmm. Listen until you said you want to talk about it. So then I started researching it and listening to all the clips I had saved. And I mean, the biggest issue is it would be such an enormous thing to keep secret from people. Yeah. Right? Although, I mean, it really hasn't lasted long. I mean, how long have we really talked about UFOs and aliens, right? I mean, Roswell was a big one. How far back did it go from there where it was like definitely in the zeitgeist? Yeah. And Roswell was what, in the 50s? 51, I think, yeah. So, I mean, it's only been about 70 years and now look at where like, yeah, aliens exist and everything. So we kind of spilled the beans on that if that's true. But man, that's a big secret to keep so secretive around the world. Yeah. You know, this isn't just American government that is in control of all these secrets. I mean, maybe MIB some real shit, man. I, I, you know, I think the fascinating thing to me would be just accepting that it's actually real. I mean, I feel like I'd have to like shake an alien's fucking hand to be like, okay, maybe this isn't complete bullshit. It it changes everything as we know it. Literally, it, it changes everything as we know it, and also, it provides so many answers to questions like, like one, we're not alone in the universe. Maybe aliens listen to our podcast. You know, like, 
That's where we're getting all the listens from. Yeah, That's aliens. why no one ever responds to us. I want it's to the say, aliens you know, in the beam. I'm ready to go to their home planet. Take me away, yeah. aliens. I'm ready. Um, but I mean, it, I think it, just the like the fundamental understanding of our reality and nature and everything would just be completely turned on its head because where do they come from? Are they interdimensional? Is it? extraterrestrial well it's kind of a beautiful thing too because i mean they talk about how the universe is constantly expanding and how one day the stars will disappear because they'll get so far away and yeah how even if there is aliens in other galaxies you know it's getting so it's moving so fast it's like impossible to get to any other what is a galaxy or something like that solar system or anything well galaxies yes galaxy right like like it's moving at such a fast pace that regardless of what we create, we can't get to another one. Yeah, because they're moving away from us near speed of light. So it's kind of cool if there are aliens because like, well, maybe there's hope that we can all have neighbors after all. But I mean, well, one, when I was reading up on it, did you read up on it at all, that article? Yeah, it, Not did. only is it him whistleblowing, because I guess this was under Biden's... Um, Whistleblowers Act thing? Yeah, protection. Whistleblowers act which gives protection on ufos right yeah specifically mm -hmm. and then he's also being represented by legal counsel which are attorney generals yeah two of them yeah well like the federal attorney like, general like yeah like uh, x yeah right? i believe they're x yeah. attorney generals but i mean these are <laughs> these are really high level people who aren't just gonna necessarily bullshit you know well, also, uh, I believe if they are bullshitting, I was reading that it's a federal crime. Yes, it is a federal crime, too, if they are. Yeah, so if they're full of shit, they could be facing huge fines but and I'm, jail time. I mean, how can you prove that? They'd just be like, oh, well, we thought, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, with this, it's like, it's so, it's, it's better to be skeptical because, man, we've had the it's the control and like i think the scary thing too a lot of people like you were saying is like the government was hiding this from us so like what else is being hidden that's not being talked about is yeah. if aliens was the easy thing to reveal <laughs> that's true what is the uh, things that are like is there things more hidden than that like are we going to be visited by like should we be expecting fucking independence day or something Dude, it's like the end of raiders of the lost ark once they the government gets the ark right and they put it in the crate and just yeah. put it in a warehouse never to be seen it's yeah, like all dude. that shit like it's so crazy and i just think like man that could ch like the whole world could change oh if, yeah just if but the thing is too is we live in such a cynical time where no most people probably won't even believe it and even if they if you even if you do believe it like does it really even change your day-to-day -day life no, it probably doesn't but it changes your day-to-day -day perspective on life yeah right yeah man i just i just I, i'm just excited for the the prospect that there's just something more out there right yeah like, if aliens exist then it's like man maybe there is cthulhu down there or you know well, maybe, I, that doesn't sound so exciting anymore <laughs> dude but maybe but maybe there's something just like so grand and more human or more intelligent than humans that you know it's funny you mentioned there's hope maybe it's funny you mentioned cthulhu because i brought him up in the notes for this because i don't know if you've seen it on reddit they did um more literal depictions of what angels would look like yeah have you seen those videos 
I haven't seen the videos, but I've seen pictures. Where it's like an eyeball surrounded by rings of eyes and shit. And yeah. it's like, what the fuck? And they have like nine wings or something. Yeah, one of them does. One of mm-hmm. them's like surrounded by uh, rings. Yeah. Not wings, but rings. And they're yeah. like eyeballs on them. Mm-hmm. Some weird ass shit. Like some Cthulhu shit, man. Well, that's Jesus, dude. Maybe no. the angels are aliens. Hey. Like they've been... Pretty... Let me ask you though, really. Yeah. Do you think right now aliens not like well you know we got it you know we got to wait for more evidence let's give it some no 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 aliens are no aliens no i'm right there with you yeah i want i see the thing is is i want to believe but i don't yeah i want so badly for it to be aliens or some shit but I, I, I feel like I'm just so cynical that I'm like, oh, this is just like the government's probably like dropping acid in like Nevada, like lake waters or something and poisoning our children with plastic pesticides or some shit. So I have a, one question for you, buddy. Who's banging the first E.T.? You gonna bang E.T., buddy? Well, you did write that script <laughs> about me where I'm George and uh. Apparently, I want to get some more alien STDs or dodge them, actually. Yeah. Uh, no, I would have fucking E.T., man. Would you? Oh, yeah. If it had some holes. <laughs> oh, buddy. Dude, I, that's how you make first contact. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely first contact, buddy. Or first blood. So you got to be careful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Speaking of first blood, what, what what's going on <laughs> with this? Speaking of first blood. What's huh? going on with this WGA strike? So we wanted to follow up on the WGA strike that we had discussed previously. Last we discussed, we had mentioned that negotiations for the DGA and SAG were looming and could heavily influence the strikes. So as of now, some of the latest news, and I believe this happened over this past weekend uh, on late Saturday night. So whatever day that was. What day was that? Uh, That had been like the second or third. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The DGA agreed to deal with the studios in the middle of the night over the weekend. But the Screen Actors Guild has voted around 97 point. Are they voted 97.91% in favor of authorizing a strike, which would mean that uh, the option uh, is on the table if the negotiation should fall apart. So. This is taken from Deadline, uh, written by David Robb. It's titled, DGA Board Ununanimously Approves New Film and TV Contract. Members to Vote on Ratification this week. And I'll summarize. The Directors Guild approved a tentative agreement for a new film and TV contract with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers late Saturday night. The guild membership for ratification with the board's recommendation to vote yes. And this comes on the 33rd day of the writer's guild strike and just four days before SAG-AFTRA contract talks. So before I guess they mean as well. Uh, This is a quote from the DGA president, Leslie Linka-Gladder, in response to the, um, what is it called? The... Agreement or the new contract? Yeah, to meet with them, whatever. 
that this is a significant deal with gains for every director, assistant director, unit production manager, associate director, and stage manager. She then went on to say, we are all union members and deserve to be compensated fairly for our contributions. We don't bargain in a vacuum, and the gains we have achieved in our tentative agreement would not have been possible without the strong support and unity of our members and the solidarity of our sister guilds and unions. We stand firmly with SAG-AFTRA and the WGA in our shared fight for a vibrant, sustainable industry that fairly values us all. And I'll read uh, some of the things they are going to be negotiating for. Which wages and benefits, groundbreaking gains in wages and benefits, including a 5% increase in the first year of the contract, uh, 4% in the second year, and 3.5% in the third year. An additional 0.5% to fund new parental leave benefit. Then they have global streaming residuals. Substantial increase in the residuals for dramatic programs made for SVOD. I guess streaming video on demand. Yep. By securing a new residual structure to pay foreign residuals. The result is a 76% increase in foreign residuals for the largest platforms. So that residuals for a one-hour episode will now roughly be 90000 for the first three exhibition years. Artificial intelligence, groundbreaking uh, agreement confirming that AI is not a person and that gener- generative AI cannot replace the duties performed by members. Which I guess would heavily apply to the WGA, right? If the studios agree with that on the DGA. Yeah, it, yeah really. Non-dramatic programs. Establishment of the industry's first ever terms and conditions for directors and their teams on non-dramatic variety and reality programs made for SVOD. Improved residuals for the first time. Associate directors and stage managers will now share in the residuals. Oh, wow, that's actually, I didn't read that part. Yeah. That's big. High budget AVOD terms and conditions. What would AVOD be? I'm not really sure. Alien. Video on them. Right. Goddamn aliens. Dude, they wrote the aliens into the contract. The industry's first ever terms, creative rights, protections, working conditions, and residuals for scripted dramatic projects made for free to consumer streaming services such as Freebie, Tubi, woo-woo, Tubi or not to be, and Roku. Unit production managers and assistant directors will share in the residuals. Feature directors, histor- historic first-time compensation for the months of soft prep. Feature directors currently perform for free prior to the start of a director's official prep period. Oh, oh! So the different you want to know the difference? SVOD subscription video on demand, oh, not streaming, and AVOD advertising-based video on demand. Oh, okay. Examples of AVOD services include Hulu and Peacock. These services offer a mix of original and licensed content and are typically less expensive than SVOD services. Netflix and Disney Plus also have introduced subscription plans with ads. Okay. Um, episodic directors for pay TV and subscription-based video on demand. Episodic directors win expanded paid post-production creative rights and gain an additional guaranteed shoot day for one-hour programs, the first additional day added in more than for 40 years. Reduction in hours, unprecedented reduction in the length of the associate director's day by one hour. <laughs> safety concrete safety advancements including the first ever pilot program to require the employment of dedicated safety supervisors i've talked about this before yeah that's great 
expanded safety training programs for both directors and their teams in the band of live ammunition on set. Wow, so no more... Well, that would... You still could use blanks. Mm, yes, maybe. Just not an actual live ammunition, right? Because that... Blank, would that be considered? A blank might fall under live ammunition. Wow. The agreement... So that's that's the list of demands they have. The agreement also achieved increased studio transparency in residuals reporting, improvements in, diversi- in diversity and inclusion, the addition of Juneteenth as a paid holiday, and many other gains for all categories, the DGA says. So one thing I will say about this is a lot of the upper, like, A-list directors have voted yes on this and a lot of the indie lower level directors have been voting no and are encouraging people to vote no on this. Where did you read that? I was reading this on Twitter, like Travis Stevens, um, like uh, Lucky McKee, uh, Mm -hmm. our buddy Cargill. They're all urging everyone to vote no. They don't think these benefits are enough. Mm. Uh, They think that uh, this is only, this uh, only greatly affects the top lower percentage of the guild and not the because the guild's actually pretty big okay um i think they have something like in the tens of thousands of members so then it's kind of like the uh sag where there's like seventy thousand or some members yeah i don't know i'm pulling that a number out of my ass but i know it's big Mm -hmm. but only the high wage are are the top actors really benefit from a lot of these SAG benefits and most actors can't even survive off of acting alone. Right. And which is what they want to change. And so I think that's what um, the big thing is that I was saying on Twitter was uh, just people saying like, you know, this isn't enough. Like, yes, Christopher Nolan votes. Yes. Steven Spielberg votes. Yes. But you know what? They're making, you know, millions and millions of dollars on their movies. Yeah. You know, we're not. Yeah. So, um, I, th- it was an interesting thing. I'm not too familiar with how much the 70% is. If that's, uh, it seems like a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a 70% is a big number, but I don't really know. Cause I think I was reading on the SAG one that they're trying to increase by 400% or something. Okay. Um, if I saw that correctly. Yeah, that's just something we don't know, which is numbers. To, yeah, like are what I don't any know. of this really means. Yeah, and translates into because the 70, 76 could be a lot, could be not a lot. It, I mean, could be a lot comparatively. Seventy six percent of a dollar ain't yeah. a whole lot. Yeah, seventy six percent of a million dollars, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit different. <laughs> so, and now we have SAG AFTRA, and this is from their website. The strike authorization does not mean the union is calling a strike. SAG-AFTRA begins negotiations on June 7th. The affirmative vote on the authorization empowers the union's national board to initiate a strike if the AMPTP, which are the studios, won't reach a fair deal with the union. The the current SAG-AFTRA TV and theatrical contract expires at midnight on June 30th. And SAG-AFTRA president Fran Dresser went on to say... I could not be more pleased with this response from the membership to authorize the strike. If need be. This overwhelming yes vote is a clear statement that it's time for an evolution in this contract. As we enter what may be one of the most consequential negotiations in the union's history, 
inflation, dwindling residuals due to streaming, and generative, generative IA all threaten actors' ability to earn a livelihood if our contracts are not adapted to reflect the new realities. This strike authorization means we enter our negotiations from a position of strength so that we can deliver the deal our members want and deserve. Oh, wait, no. That was from SAG-AFTRA National Executive Director and Chief Negotiator Duncan Crabtree, Ireland. So, Not the, not the nanny. <laughs> not the nanny. This article kind of goes into depth of what SAG-AFTRA is after. And this is an article written by Susie Waltman. Everything you need to know about the SAG-AFTRA uh, AMPTP negotiations. Yeah, I read this one a little bit. Yeah, I just kind of, I summarize, I'll summarize this too. The final result of the strike authorization vote was 97.91 in favor, at which out of 65,000 members casting ballots are 47.69% of eligible voters. The AMPTP includes majors. So this is who they're going against. So to, again, discuss who the studio are, studios are, this will be uh, studios and streamers like Amazon, MGM, Apple, NBC Universal, Disney, ABC, Fox, Netflix, Paramount, CBS, Sony, and Warner Brothers. So that's who they're really going up against. The threat of a strike is already having effects on the industry. While AMPTP films are self-bonded, indie films are bonded by external uh, guarantors who may pull out their investments in the face of a strike. The first major casualty is the upcoming Joaquin Phoenix and Rooney Mara film, The Island, which was halted until further notice on May 23rd. So what the SAG is after, money-wise, SAG wants the AMPTP to provide better compensation and benefits for the members. Residuals. Current residual payments do not reflect the value of member contributions. According to the union, they undercut by inflation and by a streaming ecosystem through which producers pay less residual income than traditional exhibition models, which would be like TV or cable, right? Yeah. In regards to generative AI, the union is requesting that AMPTP provide protections for burdensome and unreasonable demanding... Oh, wait. Ah, shit. I cut off the thing. (laughs) It's all good, buddy. But then I know they also talk about uh, self-tapes. Yeah, that was one that really stuck out to me was that they were... The guild is or SAG-AFRA is really worried about the costs on actors to essentially self-tape and produce self-tapes that are of a good enough quality to be sent in and that that burden should be placed back on the auditioners and the casting directors and stuff like that. I thought that was kind of interesting because, I mean, I don't know. Self-tapes are... are, I'm not a big fan of self-tapes personally. Yeah, well, Um, I mean... But I know COVID kind of made it mandatory. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. COVID made it real big and a lot of casting directors apparently seem to be liking it because they don't have to actually go in and make a day of it. They can kind of watch it at their leisure, I'm assuming. Yeah, also you don't don't have to do the, oh, that was great. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And also we saw the, um, we got a lot of self-tapes, so it's not like it's an unheard of practice and there is convenience to it. But I guess after or during COVID, it got to a point where actors were really starting to uh, do high productions. 
of their self tapes, and then casting directors were kind of marketing towards these, to these actors to help them with their self tapes that they were doing. So it was kind of creating this really negative environment that was really getting expensive because it wasn't just you know someone acting in their room with you know bed sheet behind them. Now it was starting to turn into more legitimate productions to right. help give them a little edge, right? And that cost money. So I believe the SAG after is seeking. Uh, essentially compensation for these actors who do these auditions, which I don't know know how that's going to affect actors because like, yeah, it's good to get the audition, but now you're going to have to audition for the audition because who's going to want to pay you, right? If every person auditioning gets paid, are you going to get, just take a chance on anyone? Well, I wonder if the cost of them holding in-person auditions is going to, is offset by what they would pay. Because mm. I'm guessing this, the bigger studios and the bigger productions were probably paying a lot of money to host in-person auditions all around the world. Yeah. If they're doing all around the world. I don't know. But Yeah, that's true. But on this topic, I wrote... Well, did you want me to finish? Oh, yeah. Finish. Sorry. Uh, so if the members go on strike, uh, members are required to stop working for struck companies and begin picketing. During a writer's strike, production productions with finished scripts can theoretically continue. As for example, HBO's House of the Dragons will during the current strike. However, an actor strike would mean that production would immediately stop. Now, this is in regard to non-members may strike. A strike will also impact actors who have yet to receive their union card. Since SAG members won't be working, producers and production companies will likely try to hire performers who aren't in the union. If you fall into this category, it's important to consider both the short and long-term implications of accepting work during the strike. While landing a gig with a major studio might be tempting, non-union actors who cross the picket line may still be labeled as scabs, which will have major negative repercussions once the strike is over. SAG has confirmed that representatives will ask not will ask new union members if they've ever worked for a struck company. And the dates that SAG has actually gone on strike was in 1952, 1955, 60, 78, 80, 2000, and now possibly 2023 with one of the biggest strikes ever within its history, according to the higher ups. So what does that all mean for the WGA, right? Because we talked about how the WGA went on strike and with the contracts up for the DGA and SAG, that maybe they could join them in the strike. And if they were to join in, that would really solidify and make it a stronger, cohesive assault against the studios and the demands that they want. However, the DGA kind of... Well, they kind of stabbed him in the back there a little bit, right? Because really, yeah, it's like, dude, came. what the fuck? We we were depending on you, and now look at you guys signed this deal. Now, granted, the DGA is much smaller, but the DGA is even more so than actors in a sense, right? Because if they stop, then what production are you going to get going? Yeah, you know, you can't just put anyone in there. Tons of experience comes with DGA or a director's work ability, right, to deliver at the highest of high levels. Right. So that was a bit of a blow to the WGA. And I know the WGA is kind of wavering because writers are starting to get hungry. You know, money's mm-hmm. not coming in. They live in a real world where it's like, 
can I pick it this entire time? I mean, New York's burning down right now, so they're not even picketing out in New York. Because and so, what are they doing? They're just sitting at home. Who knows? They got to pay their bills, and so now their hope. I think their big hope and maybe saving grace is SAG after. And, and SAG does seem to be aligned with the WGA and possibly could go on strike. And then if they were to join with the WGA, I think that would definitely be a strong front to go to strike with. However, if SAG, in my opinion, agrees to talk with the studios and tries to negotiate and work something out, then that can leave the writers really uh what is that munson yeah <laughs> what is that munson down a river or whatever from kingpin yeah that's saying so i mean like we said i think this is either gonna get solved quickly than normal more quickly than normal or it's gonna drag on for forever because the studios are gonna have all these productions they can still finish who knows how good ai is gonna get you're right you know can how how much can you skewer the writers? And I imagine they will try to. I wrote, "This is great. Ooh. I I hope SAG has the ability to come in and force the hands of those greedy corporate bastards." Yeah, a quick resolution is needed, but at the same time, for selfish reasons, I am hopeful that this lasts until we finish Dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one thing that I I think that I'm worried about too is, and I talked about this before, is. Even though, like, I'm so I'm worried about like the IASTE uh, guilds and IATSE, all the yeah. IATSE and all these other IATSE, people because IATSE. all these below the line people are also out of work and they're not striking. So, well, they still can get on productions, right? Because there's still productions like House of Dragon going on. Yes. But I imagine work is really slowing down. Right. I mean, we're they're, they're going to run out eventually. Yeah. And so, man, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, it is tough. But it is also interesting that some of the big demands from everyone across the board, of course, is money. Yeah. Specifically residuals with streaming. Very interesting. But also AI yeah. and its capabilities. So I don't, I don't know, man. And on that, I wrote, the money aspect is hard to judge. As we have talked about before, this is not as clear cut as you might think. The new streaming landscape has brought an entirely different kind of eco economy surrounding the cash flows of the content providers. Maybe a new, more stable revenue stream can be established that favors all. Or maybe I'm just a hippie. Also, AI is taking over no matter. It's not a matter of if, but when. It's scary how fast things are developing, and maybe there will be some kind of standstill in its development. That will allow creatives to adapt to the new landscape. But it's going to be the Mad Max for the creative world as the tools get easier, better, and cheaper. Yeah. Because uh, honestly, when you can write, why, if you can do a perfect storyboard with AI, yeah. why would you hire a storyboard artist? Yeah. It's going to be cheaper and faster to use AI. You're, yes, you're losing the, hum the human soul aspect of it, but we we have slave labor making our cell phones right now, and no one seems to be complaining about that. So hey, man, I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. But also, I forgot what I was gonna say. How about that? Well, 
it is interesting too. I mean, I mean, like you said, with AI replacing storyboard artists, I mean, the DGAA is saying, hey, we don't want AI to replace us. Yeah. <laughs> what a crazy time to live in. We got aliens, AI, gods, <laughs> and the world is on fire. Yes. Yeah. How about that? Well, here's to dystopia. Here's to living in interesting times. You you need some more scotch? Yeah, I do. Do you want it on ice or how do you want it? I'll, I'll take it neat. All right. Well, I'll take my neat too. So with that wrapped up about the WGA, I will say I can say, speak firmly for Steven and I that we stand with the little man because we're as little as the little man can get. And on and also it's just everyone just just, you know, we need to be paid fair. Everyone needs to be paid fairly for their work and their contributions to art and society. And with that, let's move on to the main topic. In today's main topic, I wrote a little quick sentence that's supposed to be confusing. Now, did you write this or was this a quote you found? I wrote this. All right. Establishing the idea of the shot that you need so that you can, in fact, get the shot that you didn't get. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this this little topic is about pickups, reshoots. And scheduling of reshoots and pickups and that kind of thing. So the, my first question for you, Stephen, for Dickhead, we didn't get a lot of establishing shots. We have had to pick those up. What is the importance of establishing shots to you? And what are some examples we need for we needed for Dickhead? All right. Well, I'll read what I wrote. <laughs> Look at we're prepared. So establishing shots are key in, of course, establishing where the story takes place and can seriously aid in world building. Also, and especially in our case, cutting from scene to scene. Uh, So essentially cutting from scene, establishing shot, new scene, is a good way to reset the story, the flow, and it's a soft reset because if you put two scenes together, the end and beginning might not match well, and an establishing shot in between can really help in that transition. Also, it can be a nice thing to cut away to in a scene to add more imagery, something to show in the exposition, like describing the layout of a moon base where the protagonist needs to go. Also, it can help smooth bad takes like lack of continuity. So in our case, I don't know how important establishing shots are. I think there's only two key establishing shots that maybe we needed which was Tom's house in relation to things and where people were when they were at his house, which actually is pretty monumental in our case. And then uh, where Kevin's house is in relation to Jennifer's house. I think those kind of establishing shots would have been nice to kind of get like, hey, this is where we are within the uh, geography of this story. Yes. But like I said, I mean, they're great. They're useful. Use them. They can allow you to kind of cheat things and get away with things, uh, especially at our level where you think you got the right take and you think everything's matching up great, but then you realize, oh, wait, tonal, ton, ton, tonally, this isn't making sense. And so a nice establishing shot to kind of break up that flow so that the next take with its switch in tone, isn't as jarring. That's very well said. 
And to, I can add a little bit to that. I wrote, having the idea of location as well as the framing allows you to pace shots and show where you are in relation to the world, which is what you said. But it also allows the audience to have a moment to breathe between scenes. Yeah, it, that reset, right? It's a reset, but and you kind of let the audience kind of think about what happened before the next thing happens. Mm-hmm. And it it just kind of you can kind of summarize and you know put kind of puzzle pieces together if you're really paying attention to a movie. But I guess most people probably aren't paying too close of attention. You know, it'd be an interesting movie to watch in regards to like that paying attention, figuring out the world, taking time to think on what just transpired would be um, uh, Glass Onion. Really? I wonder if we should watch that. No, I have no idea. I'm curious to see if they if Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson, what's his fucking name? Is it Ryan? It's Ryan, right? Ryan, yeah. If Ryan Johnson, how he might use establishing shots? Because I did you watch it? No, I did. Because I thought it was up for best picture. I don't remember a single establishing shot, but I am sure there's some because it takes place on an island. Yeah, so there's probably a lot of like drone shots over at the beach. Yeah, and he actually has some. A beautiful establishing shot at the um, but then those might at be... the port to go to the island. Yeah. I mean that that's a really nice looking shot and location. Yeah, I mean the best part too is uh, for establishing shots is when you is to show off your locations because if you have a yeah. nice location, show it off. If you have a nice set, show it off, right? Yeah, which in our case. So then let me ask you this: Do you wish we would have done that in Deckhead? Because obviously we're in the desert. The story takes place in the desert. We're not trying to hide that fact. But we have no establishing shots for the desert. And, you know, a lot of people come up to maybe not our side of the desert, but certainly Joshua Tree to film, photograph. I mean, that's a prime location to show that, like, if you're not showing the cactus, you show the Joshua Tree desert. You know, if you're not showing the Sahara, the cactus, the Arizona cactus, Um, you're showing the Joshua Tree. And it's such a beautiful location that is very unique. I mean, people from L.A. down the hill... They all come up here to see our very different scenery. So we do have that privilege, even though we live here. So do you wish we would have gotten that in the story and maybe work that in? Or do you think, or is it just unnecessary considering the story? It's a little unnecessary. At least those kind of, that kind of setting. Like, honestly, if we, if we had an unlimited budget, this would probably would have been shot in some Midwestern or mid, uh, Mideast town somewhere in ohio or something like that where we could actually get like good leaves and right yeah, like, some and, of that fall yeah like, it would have been like halloween it like would have been city yeah. in halloween yeah even though that was shot in la but you know well because for dickhead we wanted to shoot that in ontario california which has some like areas that look like what it does in halloween because they have historic houses yeah but we just never ultimately went that went with it which thank god we didn't to follow up on that, you're working on a script with Alex that we're going to shoot called Uncle Rico. Is that what Mr. Mr. Rico. Mr. Rico. I like Uncle Rico. That's the change. <laughs> Million dollar change right there. Don't talk to me. Talk to the director. Talk to the producer. <laughs> that also takes place in the desert, right? Yes. And it's a very interesting character. Now, reading that script that you wrote, I feel like establishing shots are definitely a part of it. Like a car driving through the desert. Yeah. How important is it in that film then? Extremely important because it had it's about an iconic 
it's about this essentially about a guy that lives where we live. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought he just that's where the because my the story th- took him was the desert. My thinking was it was just it was about like a guy that kind of like he lives out here, right? He mm-hmm. goes to the same diner every morning. He got he like. Right, the same track housing that he drives through and passes. So he's a desert rat. Yeah, he's a oh, desert okay. rat. Okay, interesting. And so, and so, those establishing shots of where we are in relation to that, and then eventually we end up in the desert at the end of the film, which is huge. And then that will be you know, my idea is to have it take place at night on a full moon. Yeah, I mean, maybe if we can. Figure out the powering of the light source. Generators, batteries, I guess, maybe? Batteries. How much do you dedicate to the... For that film specifically, like let's say you're directing it, you're picking out the shots that you want for it. How much are you dedicating to the establishing shot within the film and also the weight of that establishing shot? And then how are they playing? Is it just like, hey, let's cut away to then establish where we are or reset the scenes the flow or is it kind of like maybe more like the exposition thing where it's like hey i'm gonna go to the desert and so we show shots of the desert and the car driving through the desert no it's like i'm gonna do this and this and this in the desert because i think there's also a distinction between b-roll and establishing shots well isn't b-roll all of that it is all of that well b-roll is not necessarily where you are in like right it can just be of shots of anything that it just yeah you know, I, I always imagine b-roll was all the extra stuff that didn't involve actors yeah essentially but establishing shots kind of show you the location of where your character is going your characters are going and i like the idea of doing establishing shots that transition into scenes yeah so like you have a camera you have a camera movement that, so that reset yeah Mm-hmm. so and then you can play off that camera movement into a scene like you have a picture of you have you know you're, you're holding on a house the camera pans over and you see someone walking up to the house and then you pan and walk or track with them maybe do you maintain the movement throughout like movement ending scene movement establishing shot movement beginning scene yeah something you always like got to have that kind of movement to it yeah and then just that kind of creates like a flow and a mm-hmm. sense of location this is probably jumping around a bit. I don't know if this is in the questions, but I'm sure it is to some extent. For your next film, and when you want to do the establishing shots, because essentially for Dickhead, we did all of our establishing shots as pickups. Yeah. Right? I, I don't think we shot any establishing shots. Nope. Except for one, when they're walking towards the school from your house. Oh, yeah. Maybe we've done one. Oh, and then Tom, our Richard and Callista and company going to Tom's house? Kind of, yeah. Kind of? Kind of establishing shots. That's not really an establishing. We didn't really know establishing shots, maybe. Yeah. For your next picture, is that something you're already going to know you're going to do? Yes. Or are you just going to be like, fuck it, I want to focus on the story and establishing shot is more secondary or are you going to put it more like I want to I want to incorporate the establishing shots like I said into the story so that essentially it's it uh, works with the story and not against the story and also it works into the schedule yeah Uh, because I think that was one thing for us was we just we just the schedule was just 
it was so difficult. Yeah. And, you know, it, we just kept saying, we just, kept, we would constantly just be like, oh, we're, we're, we're not going to get this shot. We'll get it later. And I think part of, we pushed off shots so often and so much that, and we just never got them. Yeah. And it really kind of hurt us big time. I mean, this, one of the reasons, and this will transition great into the next question. And it's, we reshot scene one, which was much needed because scene one was this big scene and we only shot one part of the scene. And we never came back and shot the the rest of the scenes with the actress. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I didn't even do the um, cutaways. Yeah. That day, because I was with Alex. I was burnt out. No, no, no. And I just got drunk. No, because even after we shot, remember, I was supposed to shoot an empty hallway. Yeah, pictures, yeah, yeah. I all meant originally with, what was her name? That was part of it. Yeah. Oh, but, wait, you mean with Holly? Yeah, with Holly. We never went back and shot the scenes with her walking around the house. We never did any of those scenes. We were always like, we'll come back and do this later. Well, also with that said, I imagine we would have a stand-in for those shots. Yeah, we and we did shoot some of those using Kylie. Um, but it just didn't work. But it just wasn't long enough. Like, Well, she, her, she just... We used Kylie for everything, and she just didn't match <laughs> the people we were having her stand in for. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. So we reshot scene one, which mm-hmm. was much needed. Yeah. But there is a shot that is stuck in my head that I really want to get. What do you find are the challenges with getting pickup shots? Well, the main issue is what time does to all of us. We age, we change. And so the continuity doesn't match. And striking, so in our case, that it takes the audience out of the movie. For instance, we were working on a scene with Suzanne going into a room, which would be great to have. Yep. Beautiful. It would put the period mark on her character, right? Because it would punctuate everything for her. But we shot that pickup, what, six years later? Yep, six, five, five or six years later. And the continuity is so bad, it's striking. I mean, it just doesn't match. The hair doesn't look right. The outfit, nothing. It just doesn't look right. There's no way we could cheat it because the hair, it's really the hair. The hair is just so radically different. Mm-hmm. It just would literally take the audience out. It's like when uh, cheap movies use uh, wigs, right? Like Fantastic Four Stick, Fan Four Stick or whatever, where Kate Mara came back for reshoots. Yeah. But she had to wear a wig the whole time and it's super obvious. Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because big budget movies can't even fix it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when you're doing low budget films, you might not do reshoots immediately. It, I mean, at least in our case, it took, what, two years, four years, six years mm-hmm. is when we kind of shot reshoots. And of course, by then no one matches up. And if the big studios can't even get away with it, because I think with the Kate Mara case, it was a two-year time span. Yeah, something like that. From the difference. Or a year. But also look at something more recent, which was with Henry Cavill. Oh, the mustache. Yeah, the mustache. Mustache gate. Yeah, mustache. I mean, he finished Justice League and I think he immediately went to Mission Impossible. Literally, right? Yeah. But then they were like, hey, we still need you back. We got to reshoot this. Um, tragedy happened. Josh Whedon wants you to make this movie worse. <laughs> and I mean, Jesus Christ, that is some bad CGI, man. 
that lip work. Yeah. I mean, it's bad. If the big name brand studios can't fix this issue, imagine when you're at our level. I would say instead of doing reshoots, like reshooting a scene unless you absolutely have to, then you got to put everything you can into the continuity of it. You got to make sure your actor looks just as close as possible to the scene. And that's also figuring out in the edit. So if you can't do that, then maybe focus on inserts in that instance like ours where so much time has passed and getting believable continuity is not really possible. And most of our reshoots we didn't use because they just look so strikingly different from the original material. So I think in our case, it would have just been better to go for inserts instead. Yeah. Like, for instance, we had a scene where the actress is giving a monologue. And we needed a tight shot of her doing the monologue and the camera tracks with her. That was a reshoot because we just had the master wide. Well, instead of that, maybe we just do inserts like her eyes, her hair, maybe her fumbling with her hands, her kind of pacing around, just kind of other shots to cut away to instead of doing a reshoot because she doesn't look anything like she did back then. Her hair's just not what it was. And there's no way we're going to get it to match. We don't have the money. <laughs> we don't we don't have the money. And even when a studio does have the money, they can't. And even if they can do it, like Henry Cavill, all he had to do was shave his mustache. But he literally contractually couldn't. And 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 it's no fault really of the actress, but you never really get the same energy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like five Well, yeah, it's been six years. Yeah. Yeah. Give me this scene that you delivered six years ago and make it just as impactful as it was. And I don't want to say like, no, you know, Marianne was extremely professional and she did better than she did in the original take. But that made it so we couldn't use it. <laughs> right? It has to fall in line. It has to be, yeah. it has to work in flow with the thing. And you There's know, that emotion and tone attached to it, yeah. right? Which is impossible to match and what years I, later. And what I wrote is, and I, I've just been fever dreaming about getting that bathtub shot because I just see it. I know exactly where it slots in and I know exactly how it will work. And I'm just like, man, that just puts a, that just puts the final cap on that on scene one. Once we have that scene one is it, there's nothing more we can do, right? It's just done. And we just need that one shot because we just have, we, and I, I talk about this later so I won't get into it too much, but we really did. We just rushed through to get done on day one. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't really utilize day two to our advantage. And uh, it cost us, I think, in the end to have to do this again. How, how much are you thinking that's going to hurt us in the long run? It's not going to hurt us in the long run, luckily, because we have no deadline. Mm-hmm. That may be detrimental to you know our standing relationship with our cast and crew Mm -hmm. but i mean we have no deadline there's no so i mean as long as we can get the shot that we need and we can finish the movie as best as possible i think it's worth it but the problem is is like you there is like you said there is a finality there is a timeline Mm -hmm. because hair only stays the same so long locations only stay the same so long and then you're just you know 
then you just have to accept what you have. There's a point where you just have to accept what you have because there's no going back. We cannot rebuild that bathroom set. So let me talk to you about this then. Because it's been a year, two years, right? Since we did the reshoot for scene one? Two years, yeah. Okay, it's been two years. You want to get these shots that take took place two years ago. You've seen what's happened when we try to get reshoots years later. Yeah. How confident do you feel? And then why aren't we scheduling the fucking reshoot? Well, I'm going to schedule it. For I, I want to schedule it. And I'm feeling confident because luckily the idea of the shot does not demand much of the the angle that I have in mind uh-huh. does not really um, require Grace to have any particular hair color or length or anything like that. Well, it would have to match hair color wise, right? Well, she's going to have wet hair and then wet hair like, right, looks. Uh-huh. You can get away with stuff though, right? Yeah, it's a lot easier to get away with with uh with when things are wet and mm-hmm. um so and essentially the angle is like it's like her between her knees right so we might not even see her hair really if you would see it we could see it a little bit but, but not we can cheat it enough if but not we a had, haircut if we had to but not a haircut right and then the other shot which would is going to be a lot which trickier is a bird's eye view essentially it's right? a bird's eye view the second shot's a bird's eye view and then we have to get that shot of her laying in bed, which we never got. But we can kind of get that whenever I think. Well, I was hoping. Well, ideally, as long as the we, hair color matches. Ideally, we all get it done. At the no, same no, no, time. no. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like, hey, <laughs> come come over for one shot real quick. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, um, and that's what something I was thinking about. And so, so, we'll, so hold on. So, do you feel any pressure to get it done now, or is it something you think we can push off, or what? No, yes, I do feel pressure to get it done. Ideally, actually, I was thinking of wanting, trying to get it done in July, Mm. Um, talking with Grace and seeing about scheduling that because I know you have a lighter schedule in July, and I'm and I'm planning on taking some vacation, and hopefully, maybe being able to schedule something during that time, Uh, because to me, I have this weird little deadline in my head where we're picture locked by the end of October. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know about picture lock, but certainly pretty close to it. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking by the end of October, I mean, unless we don't meet anymore <laughs> to edit. I That's mean, true. We do get quite a bit done. huh? Yeah. And it's like, even, cause tonight we, we passed the hour mark on our newest revision of yeah. the cut. And so we have about 15 minutes left on the film to go through. And then it's just, it's literally just moving frames around until we're happy. Yeah. And honestly, the fatigue is for reals this this week, man. And this felt like a really rough editing session. Yeah. For me personally. No, it felt, oh, for me too. But damn, we actually got far and really made some real progress. I mean, it felt rough at the start. Because it felt like we were just pushing things around. Well, I, I want... Because I have this problem where I, I really just want to get scenes locked. Because every time we go back, it feels like either we have to completely deconstruct the scene and start over. Which, it's, lately, it's been working really well. Yeah. But then sometimes we have to, we end up going back. 
which is fine, but all- it's just, but also it's just like, God, it's exhausting to try like all these different iterations. What, but I think that's fine because we are finding the best uh, outcome for what we have. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's only like, for instance, there's one scene that we both worked on and we are working on. And you'll be like, dude, are, aren't there any better shots for this? And I'll be like, or I'll be asking you, dude, aren't there any better shots? You're like, no, Stephen, there isn't. <laughs> and then I work on it and you're like, Stephen, aren't there any better shots for this? I'm like, no, Tom, there isn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, we kind of go back. But with that said, I mean, it, it certainly feels like we're making some serious progress with all of this. And I mean, I think we got to exhaust every possibility because. Oh, absolutely. Just because. The strides we're making, it feels really good. Like when we do hit that stride, like at the end of today's session, um, it was rough. There were some rough spots that I think we really finessed and really made work really well. Mm-hmm. And, but like how you're saying, you don't want to go back. I think the issue is with getting anything locked in now is when we watch it together as a whole, when right. we watch the actual full movie. Like, yes, individual scenes feel perfectly paced, and I think they are in the vacuum. But then when we watch the larger picture, you realize yeah. like, oh shit, within the, you know, with every scene before it or after it, it's not working within context to everything else as a whole. Right, yeah. And, that was, and then that's where we still need to really finesse. Yeah, because that's where we need to start stretching things out or figuring out if th- we need some kind of a shot or something. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, we'll just say, it, like, for the scenes we're editing now, like, we're going really tight, and it feels perfect for every single scene. It's like, yeah, tighter, 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 and shaving off a lot of time and just making it faster. Yeah. But then we will watch it as a whole. We're like, oh, wait, this is actually way too fast. And I think when we see it as a whole, we're going to be like, oh, okay, yes, the scene is good, keeping it tight, but it really needs to play out slower. And yeah. so we kind of need to drag it on just to kind of, since we don't have establishing shots, the audience isn't getting a lot of time to reset and settle into the scene and figuring out what's going on. So we need to allow that slowness for the audience to kind of catch up with us because we've been so far ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And so we need to slow it down. And and that's why I'm saying like, even even when we finish this pass we're going through, I think we need to do just a quick one. You know, it doesn't have to be that in depth, but just quick to be like, oh yeah, scene one is too fast or scene 10 is too slow. Yeah. Or scene 30 is too fast. And then just kind of fine tuning those. Oh, absolutely. And then it'll be like. I think part of my problem is we've been working on this so so long that even it's like you've been in the tunnel, right? You've been in the dark tunnel for so many years and now we're finally starting to see the light. And it's like, we got to, I, part of me is just like, I want to just get to that goddamn light, dude. I want to get out of the tunnel. Yeah. But dude, it's like the descent, man. (laughs) You know, I'm the white chick. You're the Asian chick, you know? Oh, I get Who's making it out? Yeah. Oh shit. See, that's what I'm saying. Don't get too hasty, buddy. (laughs) Slow it down. It's just, it's. Well, I would say because I don't want to. I don't feel this this necessity to speed it up and get through it because the leaps and bounds we're making with just making this better is fucking huge, dude. Like maybe when those leaps don't seem as high and as far, then I'll be like, okay, well now we need to slow it down because we're just kind of pushing the paint around. We're not really making any color here. Yeah. But we are definitely improving 
the movie as a whole every time we're working on it together thus far. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And so I don't see that slowing down yet. Yeah. And so I want to keep doing that, you know, going back and forth, uh, new pass, new pass, new pass. Probably not that many passes, of course. Yeah. But until it's like, boom, there's nothing left to do. It is what it is. You got to accept what that is going to be. Or, yeah, we can get that still a little better and tighter. Let's do that. And I mean, it's really coming together. So that's, I mean, let me ask you, because I feel excited about it. And I feel like we're in the best place we've ever been within the editing phase. Oh, yes. For you, is it more just like, God, I just want to get across that finish line? Well, it's not even the finish line. To me, it's just like, I just want to get locked so we can start the next mountain climb. Because I feel like picture lock is almost like the base of the mountain. Oh, yeah. And and it's like, once we're locked, it's like, now we have to start climbing the mountain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because that's when it's like, like like we talked about on the last episode, we need to start looking for people to hire. We have to start interviewing people. And like, that's, to me, that is far more scary because when you and I are just editing, it's just you and I editing. It's just us looking at all the shots, looking at every piece of the puzzle, trying to get whatever piece we can to fit. And that is where all the creativeness is, where I think it's also very difficult. But I'm also like, it's just like, man, I I don't know. Maybe it's because... it's been like almost a seven year pro- uh, process now. At least I think it is seven years now. Maybe oh, I eight. I thought it was eight. It might be eight by now. And it's just like, God, dude, like, could you imagine being no, done? Like, right, seven. Can you even imagine being done? Like, it, no. to me, it's like. I mean, it, we talked about this now. Yeah, I can't. I, I, like, I was like, I, I sometimes get defeated and I'm like, we're never going to finish this. There's always no. going to be a cut to make. There's always going to be. Some hey, you heard it. There ain't no getting off this train. <laughs> I, oh, I'm not getting off the train. It's just I'm just like God. I'm just like I'm ready. I I, I want to make Bubba. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I want Like I want to. You know, we need to finish jog at night. Like I want to do. Like I I can't imagine the stress relief when this is behind us. Yeah, I mean to have that weight lifted off. I mean I'm gonna uh, forever be deformed <laughs> by this thing, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> handicapped by the it. The only, you know, yeah. I mean, because the the if if it completely sucked, I wouldn't care. But the problem, it, well, I would care, but it'd be a little easier to swallow, right? If it completely sucked, I would just it would just be like most of my other projects where well, I'm just we like ju- we just abandon it, right? And like, oh, what fucking movie you talking about? Well, just gaslight everyone. Well, no, no, we would just throw it out there. Just throw yeah. it out, man. Like, right? Give it yeah. to the world, whatever. But the thing is, and as we're editing, it's like, no, we have something. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that's why I don't want to. Right. And that's, quit. yeah. And it's like, we knew we had something when we were writing the script. And yes, there are some fucking gigantic plot holes. Oh, there's rough spots. Let's not. And there's, yeah. and, but the thing is, I think the potential is our potential can be seen. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's, and hopefully, you know, that will allow people to give us lots of money to make <laughs> more movies. Mm-hmm. Talking you know, about that, I did have a question for you. Oh, sure. When working on the edit, which we've been doing, mm-hmm. how often are you wishing we got a different angle or insert? 
And how would you prepare on future projects to avoid that want? Well, not so much. What was the other one? Angle. Uh, yeah. So not so much inserts because we didn't really shoot them at all. Yeah. And I think when, because this is a question we're going to get into later when we're doing the shot script, I never really imagined inserts. Like for me, inserts just don't really pop in my head. I never think of the insert shot. Absolutely and, crucial. Absolutely vital. It tells a lot. It's very nice to be able to cut to that. Inserts are great. But with that said, you should really only have an insert for a reason, right? I mean, at our level, it can be great to hide a bad or rather mask a bad take. And it's very practical in that case. But as far as story, it's the case of Chekhov's gun, right? Where every element in a story is necessary. So if you have to show an insert of a gun, well, then that gun should have importance later on. However, what I really wish we would have got a lot of times is angles. As far as angles are concerned, some takes are so ugly looking that I wish we just had a different angle that was more aesthetically pleasing. In the practical sense of angles, we have some twofer shots with two characters clearly in the scene, and then the continuity is so bad between the two that it just feels unusable. So we should have done a shot either like a Cohen film where it's just a single person and then cut back and forth because that would be so, I mean, imagine how easy that would be. Yeah. Or because we wanted to do a lot of, we wanted to do a lot of over the shoulder shots. I think at the time you were really crazy about that kind of shot, but we should have angled it in such a way where the person who you're not seeing on camera is just used as a framing device for the shot. Whereas how we were, we got very ambitious and we wanted that over the shot to be, no, that actor is there in acting. You just don't, they're just not the focal point. Yep. And as a result of that, that hurt us so much because <laughs> the continuity doesn't match up. I mean, you have an over the shoulder shot of one angle and then you try to cut back to the reverse angle and they just do not line up whatsoever. And then their takes are so drastically different that you're just having to choose like, well, what do I want the scene to be? Do I want it to be funny? Do I want it to be angry? Do I want it to be apathetic? What am I going for? Do yeah. I want it to be eclectic in all of these all at once? <laughs> yeah. And none of it's lining up and none of it's working just because of really the continuity of it. And and of course, that's when a script script supervisor would definitely come in handy. Or in our case, in, in other low budget films, I mean just reframe the shot. Try to just get each individual actor. I mean, yeah, if you do the over the shoulder, just try to use the actor as more of a framing device rather than more in the shot in a part of it. Because think of how much time you would save. Think how many scenes would have been saved if the actor who's not even really on screen was more cut out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was that scene where I was like, well, let me just reframe this. And then I just reframed it to the close up. And it was like, oh, I guess we can't. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Then we couldn't use the actual close up because it was like, wait, it's just the same shot. Yeah. We just zoomed. We just punched in the two, the two shot yeah. to, to be a close up or a, like a mid, a medium, a mid shot, a medium shot. Yeah. And I think our ambition got in the way, right? Because I think we put a ton of effort into the master shot. I think for us, a lot of the time, the master shot was the 
best shot to go with. And it was never really the coverage shot of actor A and then actor B and them having their own individual right. screen time. It was always like, no, we would kind of want to play it out a little bigger, a, more, a little bit more like a play. And that fucking hurt and it sucks. Like, yeah, it would have been nice to have inserts because of just continuity, continuity with age. Yeah. And then just setting and everything being there, like, oh, yeah, we should have had a shot of her grabbing a cup. Sure, that would have been nice. But honestly, we could reshoot that and we shot some of those really easily. They might stand out, but they won't stand out as bad as just an overall bad camera angle. You know, I think one of our big mistakes and still one of my mistakes that I make all the time because my brain just can't comprehend it is. Usually, let's say you have a shot of the an individual shot of the actor A, and then you have a reverse shot of actor B. And so, what you want to do normally, the method, right, the formula is, let's say you have actor A on on frame right. Well, then you need to have actor actor B on frame left, and you cut between frame right, frame left, and so they kind of occupy occupy the spaces they they are within you know the frames that they were blended together yeah i don't fucking do that i put all the actors on frame right all the actors on frame left (laughs) or i'll even put an actor talking to the left i'll put them all the way on frame the left of the frame so it just has this kind of weird looking um aesthetic to it and it just doesn't match for instance we had that shot with heather in the kitchen and it's a tight of her isolated it would have been better if she was centered in the frame Mm -hmm. at best but instead are better for her to be centered like our best best for her to be frame right because then we go to the other actors in their frame left but instead she's frame left the other actors are frame left and it just looks ugly and a majority of the dead space is on the right behind her and it's just this ugly looking shot but it's all we have and we're <laughs> going to work with it because we need to cut to it be because it's just too long on one single take. Right. I think. Well, not even that we want her reaction. We, you you we, want her reaction, but it's yeah. Cause you want to see that close up. You want to see the reaction, not just the wide. We, we need to, that's part of developing who her character is, is seeing how she's reacting and giving her that chance in that close up or in that medium shot or whatever. Cause it's not really that close. Um, the one in the kitchen. Well, one of them is, some of them are pretty close. One of them is pretty close. Cause I mean, I'll, I'll do like a head and shoulders kind of close up. Yeah. But what about you? How do you feel about the inserts and angles? So what I wrote is I am often wishing we had more choices, but at the same time, I sometimes hate having too many options because it's really subjective really? as to finding things that work and deliver what you want without having the scene feel messy. I think on future projects, it will be all about pre-production, pre-production, pre-production. Storyboard and shot lists are king. Understand the intent and position of the camera and lenses being used so you can execute the emotion of your scene. So kind of what I was thinking was you can shoot a million shots of coverage, but then at the end of the day, you're not going to use like a you're only going to use the shots that you use. And while it's not fair to say that those shots would then be wasted, but it's like you we also don't have the luxury of time to get like a million shots of coverage. So I think you have to really be meticulous in planning 
the intent behind your shots so that you can so you know what coverage that you need so that you can get those shots and the and get that intention that you want i don't think you should i think it's a bad practice to always do master uh close-up close-up or whatever or master over shoulder over shoulder like i think you really need to if as indie as indie filmmakers you have to start being a little you have to start being better in your planning because if you can get if you can plan a scene and get as many uh, shots planned beforehand as you want. It also gives you a little bit of time to experiment within the takes. Now you said a lot of that should be figured out in pre-production. So for your future and your next project, will you also create a shot script and how do you plan to utilize shot scripts for the future? If that's what you choose to do, that'll be like the last question. Yep. That's what I added. Absolutely. I, I want to start continue. I want to continue using the method we used for scene one to use a camera to take stills of what we imagine the shot, the start of the shot looking like, then get high quality prints on a board on set. So everyone will know what we are starting with. Mm-hmm. Also really discussing camera moves and intentions of the shots in the shot list. So what kind of what we did for scene one was we lined up the angle and the shot for, for each scene that needed to be shot and each and all the, all the coverage and everything we, and then we had the initial essentially starting point for the scene, either it's going to be held at that starting point or the camera's going to move or whatever, but just really having the, the planning and the understanding of the purpose of these shots, I think is so incredibly vital. And it's not just, I think it's, it's so easy to get with, this is just cool or this is just this or this or this, but then really understanding the story and how you're executing that through the visual image of the film. And then, I mean, we have great photographers around us. Like let's take, why not utilize it? Let's take great stills that are essentially, and then it's like, okay, look at the still. How are we increasing the lighting? What are we going to do? Are we going to move the camera here? It's going to be on sticks. Will this be steady cam? Will this be a tracking shot, a motion shot? And then, you know, really just digging in and being like, okay, so, you know, this is shot 1A. 1A is a wide looking at this. Are we moving the camera? And if we're moving the camera, why are we moving the camera? Are we moving the camera in the next shot in the same direction? Are we moving in a different direction? Is there a reason why we're moving the camera in a different direction? And having that planned out in your thoughts, shots and storyboards. Yeah, that would really re- relate to the storyboard element. But when you're doing the shot script, do you think you can... I don't want to word this. If you plan out the shot script really well, do you think that can allow you to skip shots? Because you know you're planning out like, hey, shot A is going to be this much of the dialogue. Shot B is going to be that much of the dialogue. So do you think a, a really good shot script would allow you to figure out what shots you need, what shots you don't? Or do you think that would come more out in the storyboard? I think it's going to come more out in the storyboard, but also I want... I think what I want to start incorporating more too is playing things through through er- every angle. Mm-hmm. Like if scene one has five pages of dialogue, every single 
angle is going to be paying, playing all five of those pages of dialogue. Just because, especially with seeing through Dickhead and editing through this, there's so many times where I was just like, I wish the start of this scene I had this angle because we were we would stop and and start scenes in the middle of dialogues or later in dialogues just because like the actors didn't want to redo it. But I'm just like, let's just do it. Like and also we need more takes like I, I wish we had f- at least five takes for every every shot. Yeah. And I think that comes down to planning and understanding your how many shots you can get done in a day because if you can't if you're at the end of the day if you're looking at your because i remember we would look and be like okay which shots are we cutting at the start of the at the start of the shoot we wouldn't have even shot a first a single shot yet and we were already like cutting scenes away yeah but we were we were also fine-tuning what we knew we didn't need and a lot of those well i'll say i don't remember cutting any shot that i now regret uh, well, I mean, I not think, to say we didn't do that. <laughs> I was going to say at the same time, I, I don't know. Because, well, I, you don't know what you don't what you didn't get. Well, I do because <laughs> I have the shot script for Deadhead. <laughs> yeah, me too. So if we were to look at the takes and try to match them up, the baby be like, "This is why this fucking shot isn't shot. Oh, <laughs> this is why we skip it." So yeah, maybe that maybe that's true. In our defense, and this is a weak defense, but I'll say. What we did is we were going on, what is it? Uh, what do you say? Off the cuff? No, yeah. that's not the right cle- or coll- colloquial term. <laughs> but we were, you know, going off the fly of our <laughs> pants. What is that sure. term? Anyways, we were winging it. Improvising. We were improvising. And, uh, you know, that's what we did. And look at the result we're in. So for all of you out there, pre-production, 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 try not to do that because then you will regret it at some point. Figure out as much as you can and then maybe, I don't know, take a couple weeks off and then rethink about it and think about what you might be missing because our pre-production was what, six, eight months? Yeah. I thought we did a great pre-production, I'll be honest. But now in the edit, it's like, why the fuck didn't we do pre-production? <laughs> yeah. So we didn't really accomplish what we need to for what Post would want. But we did accomplish it for principle. And, you know, I mean, in our case, that, that just comes with experience. Right? Like, now we know how to approach inserts, establishing shots how we want takes to play out, how how we want to, what we want to let actors get away with. So listen to our podcast because we're going to, we're going to teach you all the secrets. Yeah. Well, filmmaking. I know if it's a secret, but so what was your answer to that question? For what? For the future. Will you also create a shot script? How do you plan to utilize sc- no, shot you, scripts? No, you describe my shot script perfectly. That's how I want to do it. Um, I want to do it with a camera, preferably the camera we're going to be using to shoot with. So we're low budget filmmakers so we have our black magic pocket cinema camera 4k that we use it can take stills we have the lenses we're going to use to actually film with that we can shoot with otherwise we have well i just bought the sony a7r3 which is a photo camera more than a film Mm -hmm. but we could shoot with that if we want to shoot with that i okay 
let's do it and let's use the lenses, the lens we're going to use and get the stills that way. That way, you know, the focal lengths and your settings real quick and easy. And you know how it's going to look within the frame. And then I want to, if possible, if preferable, have the actors be there for the shot script so that I can go in and photograph them doing the lines and the takes rather than a stand-in. But if not, have a good stand-in that can kind of mimic what I imagine the character will be. Yeah. Doing it on location. So having the location figured out and actually shooting that location, seeing how the light's going to play out. Because I think we could get away with that in our situation. We don't have the luxury of everything. We're going to have to work with locations that we already possess or we can go to and that we can use. So I think we would kind of know those locations ahead of time. Like any story I write, it's my house or it's a house I can shoot at. Same. Like dickhead it was our houses i knew we were using my house for this part someone else's for this part we were using your house i knew the houses we were using now granted a house ended up turning into a mansion because of that but i knew the where those locations were going to be had utilizing that and then just using a life uh, a rough lighting situation so you know just getting maybe like a portable light on a battery to mimic the kind of lighting i want and then getting that angle on the location. And then you can kind of see what problem areas you're running into. For instance, one thing we ran into that we just never noticed because we were so rushed was reflections. I mean, I'll be honest. I did a lot of the camera work. I, I promise you, Tom, I was looking through that viewfinder. I was looking at that frame. I was looking, making sure composition was right, lighting was right. I promise you, man, I was putting in the effort. But you know what thing I never fucking ever noticed? Reflections. I'm blind to reflections. And maybe, like for me, if I do it that way, then maybe I can catch pesky reflections that I'm getting in the shots and can correct that in pre-production before we get production. So, yeah, I absolutely want to do that. And I felt we would show... The shot script that we did use, which was drawings that our buddy Victor did for us. He did our storyboard. Uh, he drew it all. And, you know, for me, it made tons of sense of what the, the framing was, what the lighting should be, what everything should be within the movement of the blocking. Like, it made sense for me because we also worked on the shot script. We wrote the script. We had a very clear vision in our heads. But I would show Charlie, our gaffer, the shot, the drawing, and he'd be like, what? So if I could have shown him like an actual photograph with the lighting, literally mimicking the kind of lighting I want, then he could immediately just understand exactly what's going on and recreate it. And it would save me time of having to explain it to him. And I think that can be very beneficial, especially for someone who doesn't have to look at a lot of different shot scripts. Because, I mean, look at the sh our storyboards. Because look at the storyboard for um, Taxi Driver. Go check it out. And then try to recreate what Scorsese <laughs> wants for that. Yeah. I think that that's a very good way. In fact, I kind of stole this form of storyboard from Robert Rodriguez. 
because I believe for Desperado, he essentially just shot the film like with a little handheld. And then he went back and filmed it with the actual, you know, yeah, uh, like you know, tools and, and yeah. team. But he essentially just shot it like on a little camcorder. And that's what he used as his storyboard. So I think that's, I think that's the best way because it, it really translates very clearly. And then you can really run into a lot of the issues that you just can't plan for. And that you're not going to find out until you're there on set actually doing it. And I think that's a, just a great way to do it. Technology allows us to do it. Yeah. I mean, we have cell phones. It's so easy to take pictures with them. It's so easy to record with them. Why not use them? Yeah. And I, was, and I wrote on here is for there's this question about storyboards. And it's like, I am not an artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I cannot draw for shit. It is very important that I it, that there is a visual representation of what I want mm -hmm. that I can describe to my crew. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I wrote when, in regards to storyboards because it's like, if I can't show, like you said, the gaffer, the, the lighting scheme, where the lights need to go, you know, then the DP has to figure out, like, we can have these all these things figured out because the most important thing on indie sets is that you don't don't have forever. You only have as long as your crew and your cast will last. And if you know if you run them ragged, you, the people will start dropping on you, yeah. and then you're just you know you're trapped, you're screwed. Because they ain't union, they ain't getting paid for those self tapes. And that's right. Let me ask you then, for future projects and planning, when you think of the execution of a proper schedule. And to allow for the right amount of time to get scenes slash shots done. Do you feel you have a better understanding of scheduling? Jesus Christ, could you flip those papers? Sorry. Do you have a better understanding of scheduling and what tips and lessons can we impart on our audience? So this is something, I, this is what I wrote. This is where I feel it's still difficult for us. Because even when we did the scene one reshoot, we pushed ourselves to get it all done in one day and end up missing shots. I think it's important to not rush things and take your time while sticking to a schedule. This is vital because you don't want to exhaust your crew, your actors, or yourself. And so my biggest thing is that you have to work in realistic time schedules. Mm -hmm. So like when we were like, oh, we're going to push ourselves to get 18 pages of dialogue today. While we eventually accomplished it, look what we like, right? See what the end result was. And it's, you know, I mean, luckily we had professional actors that worked their asses off mm -hmm. and that was like an 18 or 19 hour day or something like that. Oh, that day. Yeah. Uh, shooting at the college. And so. 16 know, to 18, I think. Yeah. And then for us, it was 24. Yeah. 28. Just working all, like literally from like six in the morning until like 10 o'clock the next day. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I did like a 20 in the morning to 30 hour work day of that. Yeah. Fuck, we're stupid. <laughs> and, and so, and then, so it's like, okay. And then I just remember, I distinctly remember this and it, and it was all in hindsight. We were shooting scene one and we were getting shots done and everything. And we were just like, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. But then there was a spot where we just like hit this lull. And that was when we needed to stop shooting and then wait for scene one for scene one there the was last, the last 
No, 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 no. You mean the reshoot? The reshoot when we were in Vegas. When we had lunch? I think it, it may have been a lunch or a little after. Because after we had lunch, man, we were partying pretty hard. And then it was, but the, but then we came, we went up and we got some shots done. And then there had, there was a point where we, we were, we just had to be like, we need, we had, we should have stopped. We should have stopped because we were just like, everyone was like, let's just get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. And then it was like, no, I I know I was getting tired. But we weren't trying to get it done out of ambition and enthusiasm. We were just trying to get it done out of frustration. Yeah. Like, let's just fucking finish this and be done with it. Right. It wasn't like a, a good like, yeah, man, let's keep fucking going, man. We got this. Yeah. We were on the wrong kind of momentum. Yeah. It, we should have stopped and then we could have got up the next day fresh and yeah. and really Put in the extra takes, the extra time, yeah. getting the extra shots if we wanted to plan extra shots. But instead, we ended up cutting shots to get it done. And then now we end up in a position where we do need to reshoot or add shots yeah. into the scene. Yeah, we certainly felt it because we cut a lot of the coverage. Yep. We went with a lot of the masters, which it was like, well, I don't imagine this with coverage. I imagine this as a master. And it was like, okay. Let's cut the coverage. And then when we're in the editing bay, it's like, where's another shot to cut to? We're like, oh, there is none because we just didn't fucking do it. That's right. And including literally a lot of the insert and cutaway shots, we just didn't do. And I should have done it. I have no excuse for you, buddy. (laughs) I was burnt out. I was in Vegas. I was partying with Alex. Yeah. Because like we should have shot the... Um, inserts are the cutaway insert shot. I don't know what it is, but basically the shot of Grace to show that she, where she is later on in the film. Yeah. We should I should have shot it. I was at the location. It was there. It was set up. It's not going to get any better looking than what it was. And I did it. And now here we are two years later and be like, yeah, we got to still reshoot that, Steven. Uh, and now we got to match Grace to that. Yep. You know, and including with the bathroom, it's like, well, two years later, we still got to match Grace to those shots. And we need those shots because if we can achieve what I know you imagine, it's only going to make the film so much better. Yeah. And that's one of the things. And it's like, this is what I part on you, dear audience, listener, and filmmaker extraordinaire. And it's, you have to know how to pace yourself but you like so the thing is like you, you're this it's this dangerous bal- dangerous balancing act you have to get your shots done in the day but you also have to get them done in a way where you ha- have the ability and freedom to create still yeah so it's great to hit your day and to get all your shots that you need but did you get those extra takes that you wanted Did you get to experiment and explore with your characters? Did you get to even just try different coverage setups in the time that you had? Did you even, did you have to cut shots? Cause I feel like we are always are cutting shots. We're always like, well, we can live without this. We can live without this because I I remember it was just like, um, well, that's through virtue of the shot, the shot script. Yeah. Cause I mean, for the shot script, it's kind of like a edit in my head. Yes. And that's how I'm constructing it. Doesn't necessarily pan out that way, though. It doesn't never pans out that way because reality is such a bitch. And yeah, 
And then once you get there and you start seeing the actor move around the set, you're like, well, this isn't really working how I thought it was going to work. And, oh, maybe this we need like we didn't bring it the, the right kind of lights to make this kind of scene work. And and you can't just show the actor how to do it because, you know, they get mad at that. It's like, <laughs> look, dude, just do it this way. OK, yeah. like, no, did you be in it? And then they'll walk off. So finish what you're saying, buddy. I'm sorry. I did interrupt you. So, yeah. So I just want to impart that on you, dear listener, filmmaker. Um, plan and schedule accordingly. Be responsible. And don't be afraid to like be like, hey, we're done for the day. Because you'll kind of get start getting the hint. Mm-hmm. And I know I started to feel it like it was because we start we pushed into like I think 2 a.m. or something on that on that day reshoot for that reshoot and just to get it done when we had already planned to shoot the second day but we were like ah we'll get it done we'll get it done and i think it was too hard we were on such a good momentum it was lunch that killed us dude yeah it was lunch that killed us and then also it was just like you know what it was it was a big mistake it was just a big mistake and it's like we had we had planned and stick to your plan yeah. Stick to your plan. If you plan to shoot for two days, take, use those two days. Don't just say, oh, we got it done in day one. We're done. Like, use that second day. Get some shots you didn't even think you might need if you got if you got done in one day. If, but look, just look, just plan, 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 plan. That's the most important thing you can do because if you have a good, strong plan, you can you it will at least sure up your weaknesses. And hopefully allow you more freedom in the creation creative process. Yeah. And what about you, buddy? Beautifully said, man. I I think I just essentially want to e- uh, e- e- reiterate, reiterate, not eradicate. Wait, irritate? He's an alien. He wants oh! to irradiate me. So, with the question, do you feel you have a better understanding of scheduling, and what tips and lessons can we impart on our audience? Uh, what I wrote was. Oh, absolutely. And we discussed them in earlier episodes. So if anyone wants to listen, uh, because I know we talked about scheduling. We have, yes. We have a whole episode on scheduling. Uh, But what we did learn eventually during, and this was during production, was how long we need to shoot. Which in our case was about two to three hours to get one shot. We had to move a 25-pound tripod and mount a 50-pound... 50 pound camera onto it move and set up lights block discuss the scene get the boom up in place and that took time i have i also have been on sets where we shot four to six shots in an hour and it shows i would say take time that is one thing we did do we took more time than less time ultimately with what we did shoot yes put in that time because you can see it That's really what separates us from other high-end first-time filmmakers, in my opinion. For instance, I was telling you about, because I heard it on Film Threat. Uh, There's a first-time filmmaker who just shot a movie with Joel Egerton. No. Joel Egerton, yeah, you were talking about Joel Egerton, it's like Past Lives. And supposedly, it's a romance. Supposedly, it's very good. Probably far better than what we're doing. But... I think what really separates that kind of filmmaker versus us is 
they're taking their time. They're probably putting in a, a year and a half in pre-production. They're getting serious pros to work on throughout it. Really, it's time. And after reading Making Movies by Sidney Lumet, uh, you realize how long it takes the pros because if you want a good film, you have to put in that time. I mean, what's the point if the movie sucks? Why show it? Why film it? Really, making a shitty movie is easy, but trying to make a film as good as you can is not. Take the time. And that time should really be taken in pre-production because you can figure out a lot of it. And yes, setting up shots during filming might not be any faster. You might not be shortcutting any time here. But the quality will show within the shots. Also, if you have a tight schedule, maybe at our level you can also be faster if you really plan it out well. But that's something I would definitely impart on our audience is don't rush through the shots. It's always going to show. I will say in the, in the defense of, of, in the defense of that, there's definitely a difference when you're, there's no deadline. We have no deadline. There's no one looking over our shoulder to make sure we're getting things done. It's really just me and you holding each other accountable to get things done. Yeah. Now, when you start getting investors and producers and everything like that and deadlines and expected release dates, that probably fucks with a lot of shit. But I'm not talking about those films. Oh, I'm just saying that. I'm that, talking about people that are our level because I've seen a lot of those 2B oh. films and I know a lot of those filmmakers are on our level. Oh, yes. And I'm, it's all, like all I'm saying, but the, those people are they're rushing to what's next. And that's probably not a good thing. And it's not a good thing. But I'm just saying that sometimes you don't have that luxury, but that's where pre-production comes in. Yeah. Because then you know, I need this shot. And like I said, and this is one thing that I've been trying to hark on a lot lately is there needs to be a purpose. There's a purpose behind why you're doing a shot. Oh, I always listen to your advice for that. Because I think... That's something when I watch movies where I'm just like, well, what is the purpose of like all these edits? Again, Chekhov's gun, right? Yeah. Every element in a film needs to have a reason. Yeah. Like what was the purpose? Like what's the purpose of the dialogue? What is the purpose? Like we need a purpose. And unless you're going completely surreal and then you're showing us wild, vivid images of some art house shit, purposeless garbage. Yeah. Then you know what? Then go buck wild and do whatever the fuck you want. But if you're trying to tell a nice narrative story, give us some purpose. Show, don't tell. That's all I got to say. Let's say you're talking to younger Tom. Okay. What advice do you give him to avoid doing the mistakes we made? So is I it would, literally just spend more time improved? But how, no. how is he going no, no, no. to know how to spend that time? It's not only that. There's a lot of advice I would... To younger Tom, I'd give a lot of advice. Run! <laughs> Other than run. If if I was still... If it's like, okay, you're going to live the same course, but you get to impart like some wisdom to your younger self. Shit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It would be... Look, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do everything you can while you can. 
because I think part of the big problem was, like I said, I, I like we didn't have dailies because, you know, I was afraid to like look and cut it. Cut Is the that footage. Why? No, that you're, you're, that was definitely your, no, you're undercutting it. That was definitely part of it. It's because we were so fucking burnt out and tired figuring out literally but how were we going to do this. Part of it too was just like, I can't cut a movie, a real movie together. We need an editor. And I honestly used to think that, but now I'm like, no, editors suck. <laughs> I fucking hate them. Uh, At our level, huh? Um, what the other advice I would give is take the time to understand the reason behind things. Because if you can understand the reason behind things, you can argue your way into anything. Because the Quentin Tarantino <laughs> approach. Yes. So if I know why a character is behaving or acting a certain way, I should be, I could argue why that needs to be in the you movie. You can convince anyone like, no, this is why it has to be. Yeah, yes. That, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. Do you know why Kevin, he needs to be a bad character? Because he's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he, yeah. and he is a representation of something that is real. And we have a responsibility of fuckboy masculinity. To show, God damn, we're so ahead of to our time. To show the audience what that is like and who, and that there are people like that out there. And mm -hmm. not only are there people like that out there, they're also human. They're not just one-sided, one shade of of black or white. They're It's all gray and understand the reason. And so we're going to be playing some movie trivia as soon as Steven gets back. Oh, uh, we're getting close. Are we're not finished with all the questions? You're right. We have actually quite a few questions left to go. I think I just got a bit ahead of myself.